0: All right. Well, we're there in Genesis uh, chapter number eleven, and tonight we're gonna kind of ca- we're gonna start in the middle of Genesis eleven, and we're gonna go into Genesis chapter twelve a little bit. We're beginning a new series entitled uh, "The Patriarchs," and we're gonna be studying the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. These are the men. That God chose to kind of begin this movement, and specifically Abraham was chosen uh, to begin the nation of israel and uh, you know i 'm really excited about this series because when when we started the church in September of two thousand and ten uh, june f- oh, it's June good night September fifth two thousand and ten was the first service of Verity Baptist Church that Sunday night, the very first service. I began a Sunday night series preaching through the book of Genesis. We started in Genesis chapter 1, and we went through the book of Genesis verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and uh, none of you were here for that. You know, know, almost, I don't think anybody that is in this room was here while I preached through the book of Genesis, so I'm excited to kind of go through a series in the book of Genesis. We're not covering the entire book of Genesis, of course, but we're going to cover a big chunk of it through the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you look there at Genesis chapter number 11, In verse number 27, the Bible says this. Now, these are the generations of Terah. This is Abram's uh, or Abraham's father. Now... Abram's name is changed to Abraham. We normally refer to him as Abraham, but at this point in his life, he's Abram. i probably call him Abraham just out of, uh, you know, uh, just, just not thinking and just that's what everybody calls him. But Terah is Abram's father. And the Bible says here, Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity, meaning he, he died before his father died. And I want you to just notice this phrase, in the Ur of the Calvary, Chaldees, in the Ur of the Chaldees. I mentioned this uh, recently in a sermon, I think on a Sunday morning, and I just want to take a moment to, to mention it again, because I think it's interesting, where it, not really about Abraham, but what's interesting about the, the book of Genesis, it, it speaks about the origins of man. We obviously have creation in Genesis chapter 1, and we see where man came from. And in Genesis chapter number 11, at the beginning of the chapter, you have the creation of nations. You've got the Tower of Babel, and we see how God uh, spread out nations and spread out people by, uh, by separating them through languages and created nations. And then at the end of the chapter, you basically enter into the life of Abraham, which makes sense because God chose Abraham, he chose the man Abraham, because he was choosing a nation. So it makes sense that you go from the Tower of Babel to the story of Abraham. What's interesting, though, in Genesis chapter 11, you're pretty early into, you know, the creation of civilization. You're pretty early into the, the history of mankind. And what I think is interesting is that if you were to take like an ancient civilization class in college, if you were to go to college and take an ancient civilization class, the first several chapters in the book that they give you is going to talk about all this nonsense about evolution and how people you know, uh, evolved in millions of years and blah, blah, blah. But when you actually get to where they start telling you about documented history, when you actually get to the point where they start telling you about, you know, how civilizations formed and where they came from. It's interesting that they will tell you that they were. It was formed in Mesopotamia. Now the word Mesopotamia means a land of two rivers. You've got the rivers there. What's known as Mesopotamia is the land between the river of the Euphrates and the Tigris. It's a very uh, just uh, a land with a lot of uh, greenery and a lot of fruit. And and we're told that's where civilization. The the furthest history we can find that's not made. Up. You know, that's not just like we came from a monkey, but where they actually have, you know, artifacts, they actually have writings, they actually have proof that human beings live there and and form city-states, they will tell you it's in Mesopotamia. And what's interesting about that is when you read the Bible and you get to Genesis chapter number eleven, where God created nations, and then you get to the, the, the beginning of society, the forming of nations, guess where it is? The Ur of the Chaldees, which is a city-state in Mesopotamia. And it's interesting because it's like the Bible already tells you what all these you know, scientists think they have to go to college for and learn about. And the truth of the matter is that the Bible is really uh, the book that holds the history of mankind. And the Bible is true. And we see that, that, that uh, uh, Abraham started here in the Ur of the Chaldeans. That's kind of interesting to me. Now keep your finger there in Genesis chapter number 11. And go with me to the book of Acts just real quickly. Genesis chapter number 11 is our text for tonight. But go to Acts chapter number 7. And when you get to Acts... Do me a favor and put a bulletin or a ribbon or a bookmark or something in Acts because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. So I want you to be able to get to it quickly. Acts chapter number 7 and verse number 1. Now Acts 7 is a chapter where Stephen is preaching a sermon, but he basically goes into this long history of the nation of Israel. And he begins with Abraham, Acts chapter 7 and verse 1. Notice what he says. He says, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, Men and brethren... And fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Charon or Haran. And again, you see there that, that e- the Bible is telling us where, you know, mankind came from. And the Bible is the only book that is accurate when it comes to this because these, these books teaching evolution is just a bunch of foolishness and a bunch of uh, fairy tales. But uh, keep your finger there in Acts 7. I just wanted to show you that word Mesopotamia there in the Bible. We're going to come right back to Acts 7. But we'll go back to Genesis 12. Twelve, And I want you to look at verse number 1, just real quickly, Genesis chapter 12, we're going to go back to Genesis 11 in a moment, but I want you to notice Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. In Genesis 12, 1, the Bible says this, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee, I want you to notice the wording, He says, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred. And from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. For those of you taking notes tonight, I'd like you to write down point number one tonight. We see Abram's call from the Lord. Abram's call from the Lord. God called Abraham. And I want you to notice how he called him and what he said. He said, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out. He said, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. I want you to notice that when God decided that he was going to use a man, and God decided, I'm going to call a man, and I'm going to call a nation, and I'm going to call a people to do my work upon the earth, the first thing he did is he gave him a call of separation. He told him, I want you to come out. He said, I want you to get out. And notice what he tells him to leave. Notice verse 1. Get thee out of thy country. That's a geographical location. He said, I want you to move geographically, I want you to leave the country you're living in. Then he says, and from thy kindred. That's talking about your extended family or people you're related to. Sometimes we use the term your next of kin, referring to someone you're related to. And from thy father's house. That's his immediate family. So I want you to leave your father's house unto a land which I will show thee. Now, I'd like to say this tonight. Sometimes the Lord's call requires a geographical move. Sometimes the Lord's call requires a geographical move. Today we live in a time when people think, you know, it's crazy that I would pack up my bags and move for some, uh, a spiritual reason or for the call of God or even uh, to go to church. Now, did you keep your place in Acts? Can you get back to the book of Acts? I'd like you to notice Acts chapter number 8. I have somebody recently say to me, they were, they were complaining about the fact that they didn't have a good church to go to in their area. And I said, well, look, if you don't have a good church to go to and there's not uh, even a church that's within driving distance, I, I, I always tell people, try to find a good church in your area. If you can't find a good church in your area, find a church that you can drive to. I mean, I tell them, if you, you drive two, two hours one way to go to a good church, it's going to teach you the Bible. And this person was saying to me, well, you know, the, the, the closest church I can find is like four hours, six hours, just not, not possible. And I said, well, you know what you got to do is you got to move. Amen. And they said to me, here's what they said. They said, well, I just don't think that you should have to move. For church. I just don't think that you should have to move. And here's what's interesting about that. Today, people don't give it a second thought to move for a job. Today, people don't give it a second thought. You know, they'll join the military and let the military just move you all over the world. They'll get a job offer somewhere else and they'll just, say, you know, and sometimes people move and it's like, is there a good church in there? Well, I don't know. I'll figure it out. You know, they'll move for money, but here you have the call of God, and God called Abraham, and and people think it's crazy, and we've had even people move geographically to come to our church, and I praise the Lord for it. I'm thankful for anyone who makes that sacrifice, but listen, people think, oh, it's crazy that someone would move to go to a church, but listen, if you move geographically for a spiritual reason, you're in the same ranks as a man like Abraham. Who God physically called and said, I need you to leave your country. I need you to leave where you're at. And by the way, it's not unheard of in scripture for people to move or for people to travel for a spiritual reason. You know, this this person said to me, well, I just don't think you should have to move for church. You know, say that to the Ethiopian eunuch. Are you there in Acts chapter 8? Look at verse 26. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Notice what the Bible says. And the angel Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Remember Philip, the evangelist, Philip, the great man of God? And the angel Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Notice verse uh, 27. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia. Ethiopia is a different country, Ethiopia is a different nation. An eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all the treasure. Don't miss this. And had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Why did he come all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem? Because there wasn't a good church in Ethiopia. Why did he come all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem? Because he came to worship. He came to read the Bible. He came to hear the truth. And he met met Philip there and he got saved and he got baptized. And and it changed his life because he was willing to travel. You know, people say, well, I don't think you should have to travel. You know, you don't think we should have to sacrifice for, for spiritual things? You don't think the, man, the first man that God calls, the first thing he tells them is, you're going to have to leave your country. You're going to have to move geographically. Say, I don't think you should have to move geographically. Say that to the Apostle Paul. You're there in the book of Acts, chapter 8. Go to chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Look at verse number 2. Acts chapter 13 and verse number 2. Notice what the Bible says. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. This is Paul at his home church there, and the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work wherein I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Where did they send them away? All over the world. I mean, Paul literally traveled the world preaching the gospel, starting churches. You know, if God would have say, came to, to Paul and said, I want to call you into the ministry, I want you to be separated by the Holy Ghost, and Paul would have said, okay, God, what do you need me to do? And God would have said, I need you to leave town so you can go start some churches. If Paul would have said, well, I just don't think I should have to leave town to serve you, God. I mean, we, we, we wouldn't have the gospel today. If God came to Abraham and said, hey, Abraham, I want to make of thee a great nation, and I want to make a covenant with you, and I want to bless you, but I need you to leave the country, and Abraham would have said, well, I just don't think, you know, I should have to leave my hometown. And look, in America today, we make too big of a deal of geographical locations. We get attached to places that are, well, this is my home. You know what? This world is not my home. We are pilgrims on this earth, and we should just be willing to say, you know, I'll travel two hours to go to church, or I'll move if I need to, or I'll do whatever I have to do. If the world does it for filthy lucre's sake, why wouldn't we do it for the things that last on this earth, uh, in in heaven? The Ethiopian eunuch traveled. Paul traveled. Abraham was called to leave his home. But I want you to notice that wasn't the only thing. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. Look at verse number 1 again. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country, geographical move, and then he says this, and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. Do you know that the Lord's call sometimes requires separation from your own family? You know that the biggest hindrances to your spiritual walk sometimes for some people can be your own flesh and blood? And God tells Abraham, I want you to leave town, I want you to leave your country, and then he says this, and I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave your father's house. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Abraham did not do this completely. And we're going to see what he did, but you need to understand something. You say, well, why, did, why was Abraham told to leave his country? Go to the book of Joshua real quickly. If you have your place there in Genesis, you're going to go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. And when I tell people, you know, you ought to move, they always think like, oh, well, you're just trying to get us to move to your church. Look, I'm not, I, don't, I, I don't try to get anyone to move to our church. And if you, if you think I'm joking, ask Brother Joel. <laughs> you think I'm joking, ask Brother Stuckey. When people come here and say, well, I'm thinking of uh, moving to Mary very Baptist church, you know how much, you know, pressure I put on them? Nothing. In fact, I give them reasons why they might not want to come. I say, well, listen, you know, you may not like this or you may not like that. Why? Because, look, I want to make sure someone's going to... Pack up their family and move here that God called them here, not me. That God, not that I was a good salesman, I got them. And I'm not telling people you gotta move to Sacramento, but I'm telling people you better move somewhere to be fed, somewhere to be under the preaching of the word of God. Somewhere, you know, there's great churches all over the all over the place. Move somewhere to get involved in the work of God. Be willing to travel. But sometimes the Lord's call requires separation from family. Now you say, Well, what? why did God tell Abraham to leave his father's house? Are you there in Joshua 24? In Joshua chapter 24, we find Joshua getting ready to die. And he's kind of giving a farewell address. And similar to Stephen, he kind of starts going through the history of Israel. And I want you to notice what he says in verse 2. About Abraham's family. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. Even Terah, remember that's Abraham's father. Even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor. Now I want you to notice this. And they served other gods. Do you see that? See, the problem with Abraham's family is that they were idolaters. The problem with Terah is that he served idols. He worshipped idols. He served other gods. And God told Abraham, he said, I need you to leave. I I, I need you to come out of that country. But I need you to leave your kindred and specifically your father's house. And then we're told in Joshua that his father was an idol worshiper. Now you say, well, well, what does that have to do with serving God? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. If you kept your place in Acts, you're going to go past Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Continue to keep your place in Acts because we're going to come back to it. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice what verse 16 says. 2 Corinthians 6.16. And what agreement hath the temple of God, notice this, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? God said, look, you can't serve me while serving idols. And he said, here's the problem with your dad, Abraham, is that he worships idols. Here's the problem with your dad, Abraham, is that he worships other lowercase g gods, and and your dad's not willing to give those up. So if he's not willing to give those up, you're going to have to give him up. He said, I'm calling you, and I want to use you, but the call of God is always a call to separation. Now, if your family gets on board, if your family follows, if your family says, let's serve the God of Abraham, then praise the Lord. But if they're not willing to Abraham, you may have to leave them. If you want to be used of God, Abraham, you may have to cut some ties with family, friends. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? 2 Corinthians 6, 16. For ye are the temple of the living God, and God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Notice verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them. That sounds familiar to Abraham. And be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. See, the call of God is a call to separation. Go to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter number 14. You say, well, well, does God, you know, God wants us to separate from our family. Look, God doesn't want you to separate from your family, but if you have to choose between your God and your family, you better choose your God. Now, I'm not trying to break up families tonight, but here's what I know. The only way to save families and the only way to save marriages is to put God first in that thing. And when we got people making an idol of their wife, or making an idol of their husband, or making an idol of their friendship, and say, Well, I can't quite separate from them, then you're not ready to become a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ like Abraham was. Are you there in Luke chapter 14? Look at verse number 25. Luke chapter 14 and verse number 25. Notice what the Bible says. Luke chapter 14 and verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them. Notice verse 26. If any man come to me. This is Jesus speaking. If any man come to me. Now notice these words. And hate not his father. You say what? And mother. Did you just say you want to say hate your father and hate your mother? And wife. And children. And brethren and sisters, now he's talking about we should hate them like our enemies, like I don't like you. Well, notice what he says, yea, and his own life also. You see that? He said, look, if you don't hate your family and your brethren, your sister, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, and yourself, he said, and his own life also. Notice what he said, notice what Jesus said, he cannot be my disciple." You say, God wants us to hate our family? No, God doesn't want you to hate our family, but here's what I want you to understand. If you have to choose between your family and God, your family will say, do you hate us? Your family will say, well, you hate us. Ever since you got involved in that cult, you hate us. Ever since you started going to that church and that pastor's just screaming and yelling and preaching, you hate us. I knew of a pastor, he's an older man, who pastored an independent Baptist church like our church, and he had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday night service at 6 p.m., his entire ministry, his children were raised in that, and his grandchildren were raised in that. And his granddaughter ended up getting backslidden and kind of living in the world, and she kind of got mad at God and mad at the things of God. And his granddaughter is getting married. And she scheduled her wedding for Sunday at 6 PM and sends an invitation to her grandfather. And her grandfather, you know, sends back the little RSVP thing saying, I'm not gonna be able to attend. And everybody in the family go. Oh, I can't believe, why? How are you going to skip your granddaughter's wedding? And he said, because on Sundays at 6 p.m., I'm in the house of God. Because on Sundays at 6 p.m., I'm in the place of God. And he said, well, we don't understand. You can't just skip church one time. He says, no, I put God first. And if I'm forced to choose between my family and my God, I'll choose my God. And here's what he said. He says, there's 168 hours in a week. Why does she have to choose the one time she knew I'd be in church? or the one out of three times, you know, obviously she was just trying to like make a point and make him miss church. And he said, you know what? I'm going to choose God over you. And you know what they said? They said, you hate us. You hate us. You're in a cult. You're, you're a fanatic. But listen, sometimes when you are called of God, you have to separate from your family in a way where they will say, you, you hate, your mother will say, you, do you hate me? When you tell your mother who was raised Catholic her whole life, mom, I love you. But that religion is going to send you to hell. Salvation is not of works, it's of grace. You must accept the free gift of God. She may say, do you hate me, son? The call of God is a call to separation. And sometimes it's a geographical separation. Sometimes it's a separation from friends and from family. When you truly start living for God, your family may say, you hate us. I want you to notice that Abraham did not completely follow the commandment of God. Can you make your way back to Acts chapter 7? I'd like you to notice verse number 4. Acts chapter number 7. I'm sorry. I'm giving you the wrong verse. Go, go to Acts chapter 7. But uh, I must have wrote down the wrong, the wrong verse. Acts chapter 7. And look at verse number 3. Acts chapter 7 and verse 3. That's what I want. Acts chapter 7 and verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. And said unto him. This is God speaking to Abraham. This is what we're reading in Genesis 12. And said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I will show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Charon. Now, in the, in the New Testament, it's Haran. The translation was translated to Greek. They added that sea there. But notice what it says. Then came Verse 4, Then came he out of the land of Charon, uh, of the Chaldeans, and dwelt in Karen. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed into this land wherein ye now dwell. Here's what I want you to say. God called him to leave his country to go into Canaan land, but Abraham did not follow completely. Go back to Genesis 11. Let me just show it to you. Genesis chapter number 11. Look at verse number 29 again. Genesis chapter number 11 and verse number 29. Notice what the Bible says. Genesis chapter number 11. And verse number 29, notice what the Bible says, and Abraham and Nahor took them wives, and, A- and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Isaac, and Sarai was barren, she had no child, notice verse 31, and Terah took Abram, and his son, and Lot, and the sons of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and his son's Abram's wife, and they went forth, notice, notice, they went forth with them from the Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. Now look, God said, I want you to leave Canaan, I want you to leave your kindred and your father's house. And then we're told in Genesis chapter 11 that Terah, Abraham's father, took Abraham and Law and Sarai and they all went together and their intention was to go to Canaan. But notice what the Bible says. And they came unto Haran. That's in the New Testament. Haran. And dwelt there. See, Abraham did not obey completely. He left his country, but he brought his dad. And he brought his family. And their intention was to make it to Canaan. Notice the last part of verse 31. To go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran. Listen to me. Here's what they did. He said, I'm going to obey God partially. I'm going to leave my country, but I'm not going to leave my family. And he said, I'm going to take them all with me to Canaan land, where God called us to go, even though God told me to leave my kindred and my father's house. But here's what the Bible tells us. He didn't make it to Canaan. He made it to Haran. And it wasn't until after his father died. Go back to Acts chapter 7. Look at verse number 4. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans, Acts chapter 7, verse 4, and dwelt in Charan, or Hitran. And from thence, notice this, when his father was dead, he removed him into the land wherein ye now dwell Canaan. Here's what I want you to understand. Abraham decided that he was going to follow partially, therefore he had partial success. He said, I'm only going to follow part of the instructions that God gave me, so then he only made it part of the way. He made it to Haran, but he never made it to Canaan with his dad. Today, you say, what's the spiritual application today? Today you have people... They'll come to a church like Verity Baptist Church, and we'll say, well, here's what you need to do if you want to have a successful marriage, X, Y, and Z. Here's what you need to do if you want to have raise children uh, for, the, for, the, for the glory of God. You've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do this. Here's what you got to do if you want to have success with your finances. You need to do this, and we'll prove it to you from the Bible, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. But here's what people do when they come to church. They'll say, well, I don't know that I'm going to do all of that, but I'll do part of that. See, Abraham said, God, you want me to leave my country and my kindred and my father's house? I'm not sure that I'll do all of that. I'll just do some of that. But partial obedience only brings partial success. Abraham decided, I'm only going to follow partially. So you know what? He only succeeded Partially. And today, the reason that some of you have okay marriages, but they're not as good as they could be. You've got some okay children, but they're not as good as they could be. Your, your, your Christian life is okay, but it's not as good as it could be, or it should be, or what God wants it to be. is because you have decided, I will pick and choose. I will do that, but I will not do that. I will follow God's command here, but I will not go that far. I, I will leave my country, but I'm not going to leave my dad. And you know what happens when you obey partially? You only succeed partially. Abraham decided, I'll only follow partially, and guess what? He only made it to Haran. And it wasn't until his dad died and he was finally able to make a complete separation that he made it to where God called him, which was Canaan land. See, here's what I want you to understand. The call of God always involves a call of separation. God calls us, and God calls all Christians to be separated. Go to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter number two, towards the end of the New Testament. If you go towards the end of the New Testament, you got the book of Revelation, you got the book of Jude, you got First, Second, and Third John, and then you got First and Second Peter. First Peter chapter number three. First Peter chapter number three. I-, I-, I want you to understand something: our country is going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, our our is on a slippery slope to hell. We are failing as Christians in the United States of America today. I was listening to something today. I I wasn't aware of this, and I don't know that I have all all the details, but I was listening to something this afternoon, and they were saying that on Friday, the Obama administration had sent out some sort of an order to all the public schools and all of the public colleges and universities, any educational institution that receives federal funding from the government was ordered to open up all restrooms to the transgender movement. Here's what that means. You can have a 16-year-old daughter in school on Monday, and when she's in the locker room getting dressed for P.E. class, a 16-year-old boy can be undressing and changing next to her, and they have to allow that. And it's legal. And you say, well, are you upset about that? Are you mad about that? What should we do about that? Here's all I'm trying to explain to you. About 20 or 30 or maybe even 40 years ago, we had the Bill Hybels, we had the Rick Warrens, we had the seeker-sensitive movement of Christianity that said, forget separation, forget living a separated life, let's try to look like the world, let's try to talk like the world, let's try to sound like the world, let's try to act like the world, let's try to you know, uh, feel as much as we can, just like the world, and if we become just like the world, then we can reach the world, and we've tried it. America has tried it for 20 years America has tried it for 30 years and all it brought was legalized abortion all it brought was legalized same-sex marriage all it brought was this transgender foolishness all it brought was a bunch of sin because you need to understand this God always uses a people that are separated from the world And, and we and we sit there and think like well let's just be like the world it doesn't work. We've got a mess and what we need is to get back to biblical Christianity where Christians were say, I'm willing to change, I'm willing to come out, I'm willing to be different, I'm willing to be separate from the world. Yeah. The first man God called Abraham, the first thing he says is, I need you to be different. I need you to be separated. I need you to come out from among them. Are you there in 1 Peter chapter 2? Look at verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. Notice what the Bible says. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar, uh, a, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praise of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Say, so who do we have to blame for this transgender mess? You know who we have to blame? Christians that are not willing to live a separated life. And Christians who are trying to look like the world and act like the world and have music that sounds just like the world, we want to be seeker-sensitive so that we can fight. Look, we're not trying to be seeker-sensitive at every Baptist Church. We want to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And we want to please God. And we want to be separated from this world. Because here's what God understood about Abraham. The only way to make an impact on the world is to be different than the world. And today people will get mad at this type of preaching, and they'll say, well, I don't think you should say that, and I don't think you should do that, and I don't think you should stand there. But listen to me, somebody's got to stand there. And somebody's got to decide like Abraham and say, okay, I will separate. And and for Abraham, it was delayed. His dad had to die. And, you know, there are some relationships in your life that may have to die before you can really be separated to God. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. We said, number one, we saw Abram's call from the Lord. Number two, I'd like you to notice we see Abram's covenant with the Lord. Look at Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. We saw Abram's call from the Lord. Number two, for those of you taking notes, I'd like you to notice Abram's covenant with the Lord. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2, we have the famous Abrahamic covenant. The covenant that God made with Abraham. And notice what the Bible says in verse 2. He says, and I will make of thee. Now, we we have the privilege of having the inspired, preserved King James Bible. And the beautiful thing about the King James Bible is the, the thing that most people complain about the King James Bible is these old words like thee and thou. But what's great about the words thee and thou is that they help us differentiate. See, today we, we speak a dumbed-down version of the 1611 English. And we use the word you, and we use that singular, like I'm talking to you, one person, or plural, like I'm talking to you guys, a group of people, But our King James Bible uses the word you only in the plural sense. And when God or anyone is speaking to someone specifically, the word is thou. You, plural, thou, singular. Ye, plural, thee, singular. And here we see the Abrahamic covenant, and notice he says, And I will make of thee, singular, a great nation, and I will bless thee, singular. And make thy, singular, name great, and thou, singular, shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless, notice, thee, singular, and curse him that curseth, notice, thee, singular. And in thee, singular, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. See, today you have people tell you, the Abrahamic covenant was for all the Jews. No, no, no. The Abrahamic covenant was for Abraham. It was Abraham's covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, there was a, a promise there for the seed. He said, I will make of thee a great nation. But the Bible tells us, and, and here's what you need to understand. Go be the book of Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 3 this morning. It should be fairly easy to find for you. We spent a lot of time in Galatians 3. We're going to be in Galatians 3 tonight just looking at this Abrahamic covenant. Here's what you need to understand about the Bible. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The Bible teaches that we must compare spiritual things with spiritual. We must compare the Word of God with other parts of the Word of God, and let the Bible be its own dictionary, let the Bible be its own commentary. Where we get into trouble is where we start taking scriptures and saying, well, this person said, or this individual said, or this group of people teach, but look, it doesn't matter what people say. All that matters is, what does the Bible say? And by the way, what I say only matters when it's lining up with the Word of God. When I'm up here just giving you my opinion and telling you things that I think, You don't have to listen to that. You don't have to appreciate that. You don't have to uh, follow that. But you do have to follow. When the Bible says something, we have to follow what the Bible say. So what does the Bible say? uh, Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God. Remember, we saw that in Romans this morning. Abraham was saved by faith. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they, notice, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Who are the children of Abraham? Those that are of faith. And the scripture foreseeing that God would ju- justify the heathen through faith. Now, I, I want you to just put on your thinking camp for a little bit. This was really interesting to me, and it might not be interesting to you, but I want you to notice verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. That's you and I, you know, the, the, the Gentiles, through faith. Preached, Look, God preached before the gospel unto Abraham. You know that God preached the gospel to Abraham? Say, so how did God preach the gospel to Abraham? Notice, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. You say, well, what? that's about the Jews. No, no, no. He said, well, that, that's about the fact that God is, was going to give uh, 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 Abraham descendants who would be the Jewish people, and, 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 the, and they were going to be a blessing to the people. No, that's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, when, when, when God said to Abraham, you're going to have a seed, and that seed is going to bless the entire world, God was actually preaching the gospel to Abraham because he was telling him, there's coming a Messiah one day, and he'll come from you. It's not about the Jews it's about the fact that the Jews produced Jesus. And here's what you need to understand: the Bible, the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, the whole thing's about Jesus. Yeah, no, it's about the Jews. No, no, no. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been about the Lord Jesus Christ from the beginning. Notice what the Bible says in verse in Galatians 3. Look at verse 16. I mean, it's crystal clear in verse 16. Now to Abraham. And his seed. And people say, not the Jews, it's his seed. No, 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 notice. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. The promises, what promise? The Abrahamic covenant was made to Abraham and to Abraham's seed. Now notice what he says. He saith not, he saith not, and to seeds, you see that S at the end? He saith not, and to seeds as of many. He's saying, I'm not talking about your seeds, plural. But as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. The promise was made to Abraham and to his seed, not his seeds, many, but to thy seed, the one seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you are saying, well, my whole life I was taught that it was about the Jews. You're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to go with what you were taught by man your whole life? Or are you going to go with what's clear in Scripture? And today, people tell us, like, oh, no, the Jews are God's chosen people. We're part of the church, but we're not part of God's chosen people. Only the Jews are God's chosen people. And here's what they say. The blessing of Abraham falls on the Jews. The hope for America, it's not living a separated life and getting people saved. It's blessing the Jew. You know, we got to send money to Israel. And we got to, look, we need to send missionaries to Israel. We need to preach the gospel to the unbelieving Jew. That's what they need. That's what the whole world needs. But people say, no, it's about the Jews. But notice what Galatians chapter 3 says. Look at verse 9. Galatians chapter 3. We we saw a lot of verses from Galatians 3 this morning about salvation. Now we're going to look at verses about the Abrahamic covenant. Galatians chapter 3 verse 9. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. People say, oh no, the blessing falls upon the Jews. Here's the problem with that. The Jews are not of faith. In fact, the Jews have rejected Jesus Christ. They don't believe in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So who is blessed with Abraham? Those who are of faith. Notice verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. I mean, could it be any more clear than that? No, no, no. The blessing is for the Jews. The Bible says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Look at verse 26. Galatians 3:26 For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. What makes you a child of God? It's not being physically related to Abraham. It's the faith you have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at verse 29. Look at verse 29. And if ye be Christ If ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Who is Abraham's seed tonight? Those that are in Christ. Because the promise was given to Abraham and his seed. Not seeds as of many, but his seed, which is Christ. Y'all know who God's people are tonight? Those who call upon the name of the Lord and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and are in Jesus Christ by faith. Those are God's people tonight. A bunch of unbelieving people who reject Christ who say, No, there is a Messiah, but it's not Jesus. You say, What you hate? You hate the Jews? Look, I don't hate the Jews, they're just a false religion, like every false religion yeah. out there. Yeah. And they need to have the gospel preach them. Go to the book of, uh, of John, John chapter number three, real quickly. I'm running out of time, so we got to do this fast. John chapter number three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter number three. People today say, No, 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 the, the, the blessing is on, a- uh, on, on Abraham's descendants, it's on the Jews. We have to bless the Jews. Now, the Bible is very clear that the blessing falls upon those who are in Christ. That the Gentiles get the blessing through Jesus Christ. That they that be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Are you there in John chapter 3? Now, John chapter 3 and verse 16 is the most famous verse in the Bible. Let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a great verse. But I want you to notice verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth, that's the faith, on him, that's Jesus, is not condemned. If you believe on Jesus, you're not condemned. But, he that believeth not, now let me ask you a question. Do the Jews today believe on Jesus Christ as their Messiah? By and large, as a group of people, Judaism as a religion rejects Christ. They do not believe in Christ. Notice what it says. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is a condemnation that light is coming to the world and men of darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Light was coming to this world by the name of Jesus Christ and they rejected him. And the Bible says they are condemned. The Bible says in other places that the wrath of God abideth on them. In fact, there in John 3, look, look over at verse 36. Notice what it says. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Today, say, people say, "Oh, it's the blessing of God is on the Jews. No, no, no. The wrath of God is on the Jews. Amen. Because they've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, is it against the Jews? It's against anyone who rejects Christ. Amen. Anyone who does not believe in Christ. Anyone who says, I will not accept Christ. The wrath of God, not the blessing of God abideth on the abrahamic covenant is a covenant given to god's people who are in christ we are elect in christ the you know you say you want to you want to you know you want to get a blessing you ought to bless me because i'm abraham's son and through faith you you know bless me and if you curse me god's gonna curse you and that abrahamic covenant was for abraham and for his seed christ and for anyone who's in christ and it's not about the Jews. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. i preach entire sermons on that, but I just want to make that clear tonight. So number one, we saw Abram's call from the Lord. Number two, we saw Abram's covenant with the Lord. Number three, tonight, and we'll, we'll be done here soon. I'd like you to notice Abram's call upon the Lord. Abram's call upon the Lord. Notice Genesis chapter 12, verse 6. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sichem, unto the plain of Mori. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, here's what's interesting. God appears to Abraham over in Mesopotamia and says, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your kindred. I want you to leave your father's house. And Abraham says, I'll leave my country halfway, but I won't leave my kindred. And notice God never talked to him. And then at the end of Genesis 11, Terah dies. And Abraham takes, ends up and goes to Canaan land. Now he does take Lot with him, but I don't think that was wrong. Some people say, "Well, he still took Lot with him." I don't think it was wrong for Abraham to take Lot because I I think I believe Abraham was raising Lot. You know, Lot didn't have uh, a father to raise him, so because he was under the authority of Abraham, I think it was okay for him to bring Lot. and people debate that or, or whatever. But I, I don't think that that was a sin. I think it was fine for him to bring Lot. It's just a problem that when he was bringing his dad, his dad was not under Abraham's authority. Obviously, if anything, it was his dad calling the shots to Abraham. But I want you to notice uh, in verse 7 there that when Abraham gets back on track, the Lord appeared to him again. And see, that's how it is in the Christian life. Sometimes people say to me, like, I feel like there's this dark cloud over me. I I feel like I pray, but my my prayers don't make it past the ceiling. I feel like God isn't speaking to me. I feel like God isn't blessing to me. And, you know, the question I got to ask you is, what's the last thing that God asked you to do that you refused to do? Because when God told Abraham, I want you to leave your country and your kindred and your father's house, and Abraham said, I'll leave my country, but not my kindred and not my father's house. God said, I have nothing else to say to you, Abraham you decide to take that step and when Abraham finally took that step because Terah died and he goes into Canaan land and leaves his father's house because his father died and leaves his kindred and leaves Canaan then the Bible says in Genesis twelve seven, the Lord appeared unto Abraham and it's interesting that God speaks to you when you are obedient to him and said notice what he says unto thy seed not seeds unto thy seed will I give this land and there build, and by the way, the Lord Jesus Christ will reign from that land during the millennial reign. And I will give this land, and there build he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched in his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord. I want you to notice this phrase, and he called upon the name of the Lord. We said, we saw number one, Abraham's call from the Lord. The Lord called Abraham. Then we saw Abraham's covenant with the Lord. But here we see Abraham now calling upon the Lord. The Bible says that he called upon the name of the Lord. Now, I believe that this is where Abraham got saved. Say, why do you believe that? Go to Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10. In the Bible, this phrase, to call upon the name of the Lord, is used a lot throughout Scripture. And I'm going to show you a couple examples as we finish up tonight. But I want you to notice Romans chapter 10 and verse number 13. Notice what the Bible says. For whosoever shall, notice this phrase, call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Here's the the process. He He starts from the end and he moves backward. He said, the goal is to get men to call upon the name of the Lord. But he says, well, how are they going to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good. Uh, of good. The Bible says of good things. The Bible says that we must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Let me show you another example in the New Testament. Then I'll show you some examples in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You're there in Romans. Just the next book over. We're almost done, All 1 right? Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse number 1. First Corinthians chapter number 1. Look at verse number 1. Just one book over. First Corinthians 1, one. Notice what the Bible says. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother unto the church of God which is at Corinth to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints with all that. Notice this phrase. In every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Both theirs and ours. See, here we have an example of people who called upon the name of the Lord and they were saved. They were saints. Romans says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Go to Psalms, the book of Psalms. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely follow in the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalm 116. While you go there, I'll read for you from Genesis 4.26. Genesis 4.26 is the first time this phrase comes up in Scripture. It says, And to Seth, to him also there were born sons, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Psalm 116 and verse 13, if you're there, the Bible says, I will take the cup of salvation. Notice the word salvation there. It's talking about being saved. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Notice verse number 17. Go down just a few verses, same chapter. Psalm 116, verse 17. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Go to Psalm uh, 107. Psalm 107 real quickly. You know, sometimes people ask me, do you believe in the sinner's prayer? I believe in the sinner's prayer. If you don't like calling it the sinner's prayer, that's fine. Here's what I believe, that someone must call upon the name of the Lord. Say, why do you believe that? Because the Bible over and over and over and over tells us that you must call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says that if thou shalt believe in thine heart, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That, that confessing with your mouth is calling upon the Lord. Now, I've, I've been accused of teaching work salvation. This morning I preached an entire sermon against work salvation. I've actually, there's a guy who preached an entire sermon against me saying that I preach work salvation. And here was this one thing. Because I teach that people should call upon the name of the Lord. Because I teach the sinner's prayer. And they say, well, if you tell people they have to pray, that's a work. You know, if you tell them they have to open their mouth. And here's why that's silly, all right? Let's say that I was going to give you a gift, right? Let's say I was going to give you my phone as a gift. And and I said, and I talked about this this morning. If I said, I'm going to give you my phone as a gift, but you have to give me $50 for it. Is that a gift? No. Because you're paying me for it. If I said, I'm going to give you my phone as a gift, but you have to clean my house. Is that a gift? No. Because you're working for it. But if I said, here... You give me, I want to give you my phone as a gift, and I hand it to you, and you say, Well, you're making me earn it. I said, Well, why? Because you're making me having to reach out and grab it. I mean, is that silly or what? If you're reaching out and grabbing a gift, did you just earn it? Did you just work for it? No, here's all you did is you received it. Calling upon the name of the Lord is spiritually reaching out to receive the gift. How do you receive the gift? By calling upon the name of the Lord. It's not a work. It's not like I'm earning it by living a good life. I'm just reaching out and and saying, I want it. Yes, I'll take it. And I'm calling upon the name of the Lord. People ask me silly questions. Well, what if you don't have the ability to speak? Don't ask me dumb questions. (laughs) Okay, obviously, if someone doesn't have a tongue, then they can just do it in their heart. But, you know, but there is a, it's not just like, oh, they believe it. No, there is a moment where you have to ask for it, where you have to call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible's clear about that. All, all through the Bible. Are you there in Psalm 107 seven two? Notice what the Bible says. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you are redeemed of the Lord, you should be able to say so. If God has redeemed you, when I go soul winning and I knock someone's door and I say, hey, do you know for sure that day you go to heaven? And they say, oh yeah, I'm on my way to heaven. And then I ask them, you know, well, what are you trusting in? I said, you know, and I'm always real kind about it. I'm like, well, that's good. That's great. Let me ask you this. What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? What are you counting on? What gives you that assurance that you're on your way to heaven? I was talking to my wife this, this week, and some guy, this guy said to me, well, that's a private matter, and I don't feel comfortable talking to you about that. And I walked away, and I, this is what I thought to myself. That guy's not safe. You know why? Because the redeemed of the Lord will say so. If somebody asks me, hey, are you safe? I want to talk about that. I want to tell them about how I got saved. I want to tell them about the gospel. If someone says, well, I don't want to talk about it, then you're not saved. And people say, well, what if someone believes, but they just don't want to pray? Then they're not saved. Because you must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. You must confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart. And it's not works to reach out and grab a gift. You're not paying for it. You're not earning it. You're just receiving it. And spiritually, the way you get saved is by calling upon the name of the Lord. Matthew 12, 37 says this, For by, the, by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. If someone's not willing to pray, then they're not saved. I'm sorry. They're lying to you. They're not willing to talk about it? That's not what the Bible says. And in the Bible, you will find that people called upon the name of the Lord, called upon the name of the Lord, called upon the name of the Lord. Now, what can we learn from this? Here's what we can learn from it: We can get a call to follow God before someone calls upon God. I mean, did you see that in this text? God called Abraham before Abraham called upon God. In fact, that's a very scriptural thing. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. We we get to be saved not because we sought out God, but he sought us out. And sometimes people get, you know, at our church, we'll sometimes have people come to our church that aren't saved. And they're just, it's not that they're against the gospel, they just don't know what they think about it. They're not sure what they think about eternal security. They're not sure what they think. And sometimes people freak out like, Pastor, we have people that aren't saved coming to our church. Look, you know that someone can actually start following Jesus before they're saved? You ever heard of the 12 disciples? They're following Jesus. They're on a boat. He's calming the storm. And they're saying, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? They weren't even too sure of who he was yet. They were were wondering and astonished to say, who is this guy? Look, it's okay for someone to start coming to church. It's okay for someone to start following the Lord. It's okay for someone like Abraham to begin to walk with God and accept the call of God before they even actually call upon God. It's okay. Now, obviously, we want to get people saved as soon as possible. But we ought not freak out, you know, and we need to realize that our church is trying to reach people with the gospel of Christ. And sometimes that means people are going to walk in and be all messed up on on some doctrines. That's okay. We'll preach earnestly contend for the faith and we'll strain them out on it. Or they'll leave. We get to call upon the Lord because He called us first. You can begin to follow God before you're even saved. And the way you receive the gift is by calling upon the Lord. So we kind of begin this introduction to the life of Abraham. What do we see? Abraham's call from God. The call from God is always a call of separation. Sometimes it's geographically Sometimes it's your friends or your family. Sometimes you have to sever relationships, and it's not that you're severing them. It's just if you have to choose between them and God, you choose God. And you have to be okay with them saying, you hate me. You hate us. You, you, you know, why are you doing this? Abraham had to be okay with that. We saw Abraham's covenant. The blessing of God is not upon the unbelieving Jew. It's upon those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see Abraham's salvation that he calls upon the name of the Lord. He received the gift of salvation. And, and, and it's important to understand when Abraham got saved because especially in James 2, next week on Sunday morning, people will mix up an event that happens many decades after Abraham's salvation and say this is when he got saved. And that's not when he got saved. He got saved when everyone gets saved when they call upon the name of the Lord. Let's bow